This is the last day of this September 2021 seven-day session. It's actually October 1st today. And we're going to turn to a koan this morning. This is one from the Mumon Khan, the gateless barrier. And it's called The National Teacher Calls Three Times. It's number 17 in the Mumon Khan. read just the, uh, the case first, and later I get to the commentary, Mumon's commentary and verse. The case, the national teacher called his attendant three times, and three times he responded. The national teacher said, I thought I had transgressed against you, but you too have transgressed against me. There's some uh, biographical material about the national teacher, his, uh, his name, uh, this, is, this is China, of course, his name was Nanyang Hui Zhong, and he was one of the five, what are regarded as the five uh, primary uh, disciples of Wei Nung, Wei Nung, the sixth patriarch, is uh, scholars say that it's he who gave a, the stamp of his style of of Chan uh, that persists today. Before him, uh, Bodhidharma and his uh, immediate successors was a little different, uh, but uh, Wei Nung uh, was was is really considered the the. Uh, the first is certainly the, the main uh, Chinese uh, ancestor. And Wei Nung had these five, the big five of his Dharma heirs. <clears throat> and Nanyang was one of them. Uh, Nanyang, uh, his, his dates are listed as 675 to 775. So lived to be a hundred. He, uh, he came to be known as the national teacher because uh, he taught uh, the three Tang dynasty emperors. Now, his early years, I'm reading here from <coughs> Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. His early years were not atypical for those of a Zen master of China. Uh, he entered the monastic life as a boy. Uh, he first uh, 
studied under a Vinaya master, Vinaya being the uh, concentration on the, the precepts, the monastic rules and regulations and the precepts, the ethical side of Zen. We have no information about uh, his awakening experience or any of, might have been his awakening experiences. It says here that uh, he spent 40 years of rigorous practice under Huinung, during which it says he thoroughly mastered all aspects of sutra study <clears throat> and meditation practice. Nanyang's centuries spanned the golden age of classical Zen. He says that uh, during during his life, the original teaching of Wei Nung uh, branched into different different schools, what are called schools, lineages. <clears throat> but uh, Nanyang himself was not closely associated with any particular school. When uh, after his many years of training and he had started to acquire a reputation, uh, he was um, the emperor dispatched an envoy uh, to invite him to the imperial capital. It says he received him, <clears throat> the emperor received Nanyang with great ceremony. Turning to another text, we get an idea of the kind of uh, respect that the emperor had for Nanyang. finding it right now, but what I remember is that uh, when the emperor went, he went out of the palace to meet Yang, Nanyang, who was uh, coming forth in some kind of a primitive, this was the 7th century, <clears throat> or 8th century, some kind of uh, vehicle, and that the emperor himself took hold of the, of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Side the the wooden uh, ridge of the cart or whatever it was it wasn't clear and uh, pushed uh, pushed this pushed uh, Nanyang uh, on to the courtyard of the palace this this would be unheard of for the emperor himself to do this these emperors <clears throat> often like the Zen masters themselves uh, had their 
their attendants and, and others, their courtiers doing everything for them. Once in a big assembly, the emperor asked Nanyang many questions, but Nanyang didn't even look at the emperor. <clears throat> the emperor became annoyed and said, I'm the emperor of the great Tang dynasty. How is it that my master does not even deign to look at me? To which Nanyang asked him in turn, does your majesty see the empty space? Yes, replied the emperor. And Wei Chung said, Does the empty space wink at your majesty? And it, said, and then it says, This concluded the conversation. <clears throat> now for a minute I'm reading from, uh, from the Golden Age of Zen. Just, just for one story. It says uh, what a severe master this Nanyang was can be seen from how he treated his disciple and attendant, uh, Tan Yuan. One day, one of Nanyang's younger friends, I won't give the name because it gets too confusing with names that sound familiar, they sound the same. One day, uh, the the master, uh, Nanyang, one of his younger friends, came to call on him. Uh, at the time, uh, the master happened to be taking a nap. <clears throat> when the caller asked uh, the, the master's attendant whether the master was at home, the attendant, uh, who had just had an awakening of some kind, replied, at home he is, only he is not to be interviewed by any guest. The visitor said, you are being too profound and remote. Uh, and then the attendant said, not even the Buddha eye can see him. And then uh, the, the visitor must have gotten testy because he said, indeed it takes a dragon to beget a little dragon and a phoenix to bear a baby phoenix, <clears throat> referring to the uh, the attendant's uh, recent uh, sanctioning of some kind. But when the master got up from his nap, uh, the attendant uh, reported what, what had taken place with this visitor. He made the mistake of reporting what had happened. And... Uh, to the great surprise of the attendant, the master gave him 20 blows with his cane and drove him away from his door. When the visitor heard this, he said, it is not for nothing that Nan Yang has been honored as a national teacher. So, yeah, the attendant here was taking liberties that... Uh, he wasn't reading. He didn't, obviously didn't know uh, of what uh, the master really would have preferred then is to, is to be roused from his nap.
some more uh, some more anecdotes and dialogues involving the the national teacher Nanyang. Another master paid a, paid a visit to the national teacher. The national teacher said, Where did you come from? The other master answered. The national teacher said, Then maybe you brought Zen master Ma Zhu's true dharma along with you? In other words, show me what you got. And the other master said, Here it is. The national teacher said, on your back? At these words, the other master attained an awakening. Oh, the other master is Nan Shuan, Nansen. Here's an interesting one. When uh, another famous monk came to practice with a national teacher, he circled the meditation platform three times, then struck his staff on the ground and stood there upright. The national teacher said, You are thus, I am also thus. Mayo struck his staff on the ground again. The national teacher said, Get out of here, you wild fox spirit. Why would he scold him for striking it a second time? What is that saying? Sometimes less is more. One day, the national teacher entered the monk's hall and and said, Those who practice Zen should venerate the words of the Buddha. There is but one vehicle for attaining Buddhahood, and that is to understand the great principle that is to connect with the source of mind. If you haven't become clear about the great principle, then you haven't embodied the teaching, and you're like a lion cub whose body is still ridden with fleas. And if in that state you become a teacher of others, even attaining some worldly renown and fortune, you're still spreading falsehoods, what good does that do to you or anyone? A skilled axeman does not harm himself with the axe head. What is inside the incense burner can't be carried by a donkey. What's inside the incense burner, the, 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 the ash represents the lineage in some, some uh, contexts.
Another time, monk asked, how can one become a Buddha? Meaning, become enlightened. The national teacher said, cast off the Buddha and all beings, and at that moment, you'll be liberated. Forget about enlightenment. Dislodge that idea from your head. Dislodge all ideas from your head. It's the only way to be free. a longer one, the national teacher asked a monk, where are you from? The monk said, from the south. The national teacher said, are there, are there any teachers there? The monk said, a great many. The national teacher said, what is it that they teach people? The monk said, in that place, worthies directly impart the teaching, mind is Buddha, to their students. Very famous response. Uh, by uh, um, Basso, I think, a great Chinese master. What is what is Buddha? This very mind is Buddha. The, the national teacher said, right now you completely possess the nature of conscious perception. This benevolent nature can cause the raising of an eyebrow and the twinkling in an eye. It is employed when coming or going, and it pervades the body. It's talking, of course, about this essential nature of ours. If you tap your head, the head knows it. If you stamp the feet, the feet know it. The ancients called it pervasive consciousness. Aside from this, there is no other Buddha. In other words, awareness, our basic awareness. He continues, this body is subject to birth and annihilation, but the nature of mind is beginningless and does not undergo birth and death. The body subject to birth and death is like a dragon that loses and regrows its bones, or a snake that sheds its skin, or a human that leaves his old home. This body is impermanent, but its nature is eternal. <coughs> now, this was all. This was all said by the visiting monk, and then the national teacher criticized this, saying, "If that's so, then their teaching." The monk was citing. Uh, expounding the teaching of where he came from. And so then, then their teaching is no different from the heretical Seneca doctrine. Let's, let's just catch that here. I think I know what it is, but let's let Andy Ferguson tell us. Uh, this was a doctrine criticized by the Buddha. It proposes that the mind is eternal but form is subject to decay and annihilation. In other words, it's dualistic. 
And then uh, the national teacher continues, uh, teachers of that doctrine said, within this body is a spirit. Although the spirit can know the body's affliction, when the body expires, the spirit departs from it. If I am burned up, this spiritual host moves on. Although I am not eternal, this host is eternal. And then he finally says, the national teacher says, with such an understanding, true and false can't be distinguished. Always, always, the Dharma is it rests on non-duality. As soon as we talk about this and that, then we are slipping off of the, the fundamental, the real, the true. A monk asked, how does one sit in meditation and observe purity? The national teacher said, since there is neither pollution nor purity, why do you need to assume a posture of observing purity? Uh, Never forget that these masters' responses uh, and any, any, really any qualified teacher uh, are they, they, they're, they're in response to that particular student. So two different students get asked the same question and get two different responses. This is the the na- the nature of the Dharma. It's not it's not bound to any dogma. Uh, it's it it emerges in the particular context. So in this case, uh, we can we can uh, infer that uh, there is some attachment on the monk's part uh, to the idea of getting somewhere where there's purity. And to that, the national teacher is reminding him that this purity is our nature, or that it's even beyond purity and impurity. That's really what he's saying. And that uh, we can also assume that the, the the monk is attached to this dichotomy. One last uh, dialogue. This is... Uh, this is when uh, the national teacher was near death. Um, it's actually a, a koan in its own right, uh, in another collection. When he was near death, he took leave of the emperor. The emperor said, After you have gone, how should your disciple memorialize you? Nanyang said, Please build me a seamless monument. After a long pause, Nanyang said, Do you understand? 
The emperor said, no. Nanyang said, after I'm gone, my disciple, Dan Yuan, will understand about this matter. Please ask him about it. So then after the national teacher had died, uh, this this the emperor asked this other master, and this master too was silent for a long while, and then said, Do you understand? The emperor said, I don't understand. And then the master recited the following verse. South of Shang, north of Tan, those are rivers. In the middle, a unified golden nation. Beneath a shadowless tree, everyone ferried together in the porcelain palace, no worthies are found. The, uh, another translation, the one in our book, is uh, beneath the shadowless tree, a community ferry boat, no holy one in the emerald palace, you see. Just fascinating when you compare translations from the Chinese. Fascinating how how different they can be, which uh, makes koan study quite interesting. Now back to the case. The national teacher called his attendant three times and three times he responded. These, uh, these Chinese and, and Japanese teachers, at least the senior ones, seem to always have attendants around them. Um, and it was considered quite an honor uh, to be assigned to be the attendant. As I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate uh, the idea. I don't have an attendant as such, but the idea of having an attendant uh, who can uh, remind you of things uh, as your memory fades. It's, um, It's not really in sync with uh, our our egalitarian Western ethos. Although there are plenty of American teachers who have attendance, it's not uh, it's something I've turned over my mind, and I just feel as long as I'm able, able-bodied, and uh, some of my memory left, I can manage without an attendant. As a, that is, as a full-time post but it's a great opportunity for a student to be that close to the teacher I know I can speak myself from uh, the experience of uh, not exactly being Roshi Kaplow is not exactly his attendant but his secretary kind of his attendant with him a lot in Mexico and 
elsewhere. You, you, you absorb more than you realize at the time. There's a saying, uh, when a, when a, when someone, uh, is close to a teacher, and it's like, uh, walking through the mist, uh, getting, getting, eventually getting, uh, soaking wet just from the mist, just being in the, the, uh, proximity of the teacher. So we can, we can suppose that this attendant was no beginner at all. So then, what about this? He called his attendant three times, and three times the attendant responded. Now that's just the barest of information. How did he call him? How did the attendant respond? This is the whole of the koan packed into that. This is the nature of koans. They're like uh, they're like coloring books. You buy a coloring book, and it just has the the uh, the outlines of the figures, and then it's left to the child or adult to color them in, and that's the job of the student working on these koans is to try to intuit what's what's behind the words. Uh, koan work it does in there then develop intuition of uh, not relying on just on words, but learning to see through the words into what's what's really being said. This fits the uh, Chinese language, Chinese culture so well because um, this, they're so indirect and the language is just impossibly ambiguous. What's going on there? Did the attendant uh, change in his, his responses? If so, how? Think of yourself being called by your spouse or your parent. Uh, George? Yes? Then repeating it twice. Would that third yes be the same as the first? Not likely. Most people, yes, what do you want? I heard you the first time. So this is what one sits with, with this koan. This calling three times, responding three times. Because then the national teacher said, I thought I had transgressed against you, but you too have transgressed against me.
there are, uh, in, there are again interesting different translations for this. Uh, one is, uh, I thought I was ungrateful toward you, but I see that you were ungrateful toward me. Other is, I thought I have been. No, have I been ungrateful to you, or have you been ungrateful to me? There's one more I ran across. I thought I had turned my back on you, but I see that you've turned your back on me. Here's a clue to this that uh, may or may not be helpful. (laughs) It may lead you astray or not. Uh, There is this idea in uh, in Zen tradition that uh, uh, someone, uh, it's only when the student stands on the shoulders of the teacher that she or he is considered uh, worthy of being a successor. And as I say, standing on the head of the teacher. Normally, in in East Asian culture, the head is seen as the most uh, exalted part of the body, just as the feet are the lowest. Uh, So standing on someone's head Sounds dreadful, doesn't it? The, the, the idea is that uh, in order to preserve this mind-to-mind transmission, you, you can't just be as, as deeply awake as your teacher. You have to be more so. Well, you know, Western logic, would if, if you follow that out, it, would, it makes it a little hard to believe that uh, that would mean that I'm more in deeply enlightened than Shakyamuni Buddha. So it's an imperfect system. What does he mean, transgressing against? Another one is betray. I thought I had betrayed you, but you too have betrayed me. I've seen a couple different interpretations. I've worked, I've been part of, in the Doksan room, a couple of different interpretations of this koan. One is um, less obscure than the other. The other the other is very subtle. It's a tough one. We'll go right on to the uh, commentary, Mumon's commentary. The national teacher called three times and his tongue fell out. The attendant answered three times and his responses were brilliant. The national teacher, getting old and lonely, pushed the cow's head down to the grass. The attendant would have none of it. 
Even delicious food does not attract a person who is full. Now tell me, Mumon says, in what did the transgressing consist? The more time you spend sitting with a koan, generally speaking, um, the more rewarding it is. It's, uh, it's zazen. Zazen is so much, uh, is so vital, uh, uh, an aspect of koan work to, to, once you get the outlines of the koan, then to just let everything settle and let the mind go deeper and uh, see what insights uh, might come up. We know, especially from Sashin, also outside Sashin, but especially in Sashin, that uh, just good, settled Zazen can reveal a lot. Uh, Things we aren't even thinking about. Uh, things from the past um, bubble up to the surface. Little insights, new ways of of seeing new new perspectives on our relationships with other people. And then uh, there's a verse still, uh, I mean, uh, as part of the commentary, before we get to the verse, Mumon presents a, a, a little verse from, from uh, China. When the country is at peace, talented people are respected. When the family is prosperous, the children are refined. When the country is at peace, talented people are respected. Gives us a, a lot, a lot to be concerned about in our culture, in our country today. When the family is prosperous, the children are refined. We've lost so much refinement through social media. And then the verse. You must carry the holeless iron kang. This curse passes to descendants, no trivial matter. If you want to support the gate and sustain the house, you must climb a mountain of swords with bare feet. Uh, A kang, C-A-N-G-U-E, is a... um, a prison stock. Uh, it's like uh, in uh, in the early days of of our republic uh, in New England, they had these uh, for to punish. It's a form of punishment. They would put the uh, hapless person in a stock. The stock was in the village square, and it was uh, they'd have to drape their hands through the and their sometimes their head uh, through this. Um, stationary stock, and then people could have their way throwing tomatoes and just 
basically humiliating the supposed criminal. Uh, but this this Kang in China, in Tang Dynasty China, uh, it was put on the person. It was a mobile Kang, a mobile stock. So you could still move through the village uh, with this contraption on you. Same same purpose to announce that you you committed a crime. This is the this holus though. This this is a little confounding. I think it's not too much to give away to say that uh, this this is referring, and this is based on um, how readily most students in Doksan get this. Uh, this this Kang, this stock, uh, is pointing to the responsibility of being a teacher. Of uh, Upholding the Dharma, upholding the lineage. It says it's no trivial matter. The curse passes to, dis- to descendants. But wait, this is a not just a Kang, but a holeless one. great significance to that in terms of uh, this burden of teaching and responsibility. And then if you want to support the gate and sustain the house, that is, of course, uphold the lineage, you must climb a mountain of swords with bare feet. Very sobering mission that we're on. We, uh, we naturally want to get as far as we possibly can in this path uh, without any more pain than we have to go through. We want to find ways to do it as quickly and as easily as possible. That's just human nature. But really there's to go all the way speaking even as someone who hasn't gone all the way, but to knows enough that to go all the way is something that you can't do without paying a price, without going through a lot. There's no substitute for pain to mature us, to deepen us, deepen our character 
first test our character and then deepen and forge strong character. It's one of the many, many things we learn in Sashin. It's one of the things we we derive, that we earn in Sashin. Is this metal, this strength that comes from sleep deprivation and physical pain and emotional pain of uh, uncovering things in the mind and not being able to flee into any kinds of escapes. The attendant and, and of course the teacher, the national teacher himself, they've been through this all themselves. There is a result, and there's a result of their having worked together, been together uh, closely. Um, they've they've developed this um, rapport that can only come through long, uh, close work together. We can say that they're. They're two, at the same time, they're not two. There's a line in the, in the affirming faith and mind, in this true world of emptiness, both self and other are no more. We get practice at this, uh, at the Doksan bell. Teacher rings his handbell, the student responds. There is a there's a tradition in uh, at least in Japanese Zen. I don't can't speak about Chinese Zen, but in Japanese Zen training in the temples. Uh, where if your name is called, you're expected to respond immediately. Hi. Jennifer, hi. Gotcha. I'm with you. I'm with you. No gap response. If the mind is clogged with thoughts, it's less likely to be a no gap response. The calling can take a while to reach one's hearing center. It's, uh, I think some commentators said it's like the sound of the temple bell, meaning this, these huge, Temple bells in China and Japan and Korea that uh, reverberate over the the hills, the mountains. It's like that. The the tolling of the bell and the the echoing of it, calling, response. Teacher and student. 
Time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.